Like, that's pretty phenomenal. It's pretty, pretty remarkable that, that an empty tomb is, is, is really the, the foundation of what we call the Christian faith and what we call our faith in God. And today I want to spend a few moments of the significance. Now, I know I'm the pastor, I, like, I'm the one with the mic, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be teaching about maybe some things that are significant to me. But I hope through this thread, I hope through our time together, it could also be a reflective time for you that in maybe a busy week, Maybe just a busy life. Maybe you feel real distant from God. Maybe you were drugged here this morning or bribed by a good lunch. I don't know. However you came today, I would love it if we could together just begin to think and reflect. I mean, on the, on the supernatural, if you will, the uniqueness of a faith that, that doesn't just celebrate an old prophet, though we believe Jesus was a prophet that doesn't celebrate an, an, an old teacher, though Jesus was a teacher, that doesn't celebrate a Savior who was done on the cross, but Jesus is the Savior, but we know he's no longer on the cross, and he's not in the tomb, but he's resurrected. And so to, to lay our groundwork, I'd love it if we can read along Luke chapter 24. And as I mentioned, the verse will come up on the screen, but it's Luke chapter 24, the first seven verses together. It reads as this, it says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, and that is the Marys, two Marys and certain other women, so some of their friends and followers of Christ with them, they came to this tomb, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who had purchased a wealthy, wealthy businessman, a significant leader in the city of Jerusalem, who did not agree, another gospel says, he wasn't part of it, he did not agree with the death of Jesus. He, in fact, was a follower of Jesus, and he wanted to honor him in his death, and so he got permission, and they buried him in this tomb. And so the Marys and the friends, they're going to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. That's just crazy. And then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. Yet on the third day, rise again. The significance of an empty tomb. The first thought here is the empty tomb reveals the living Christ. Now, I'm not trying to be Captain Obvious, like, well, no, duh. But I think sometimes we select to position Christ back in the tomb. Like, I think there is a level of Jesus, of knowing about Jesus, that is comfortable and convenient. I believe that it's a little tough, it's a little more difficult to step into not knowing about Jesus, but encountering the risen Christ, encountering the risen one, the living Jesus. I, I truly believe it is a, a game changer. Like Jesus of Nazareth, Luke chapter 1, all the way through Luke 23. But in Luke chapter 24, he becomes the living Christ, 
the risen one, the holy one, the Messiah. It's remarkable. It's fact, the gospels are kind of intriguing, like in this moment, like in this garden scene in the gospel of John. So next gospel over, same story, just a new, fresh, different account than the gospel of Luke. Well, they add to the story, the strange moment, how Mary talks to the gardener and then finds out that the gardener is Jesus. Like, how many of you know, you're going to mistake Jesus for something. Gardener may not be top of the list. But Mary encounters this person, and she's, she's thinking, hey, it's just the gardener. I'll go ask him, hey, did you move the body? Only to find out it was Jesus. There was something unrecognizable about him. In fact, this chapter, Luke 24, it continues with a story. It may be titled in your Bible, The, the Road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus, because what happens is these two people are so disappointed. They're so discouraged. I mean, they got borderline depression onset coming into the very system because they thought Jesus was going to redeem Israel. They thought he was the Messiah. But here he was dead. And they were just bummed out. And they were going for a walk. They were going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And on that road, an unrecognizable figure shows up starts talking with them. They're having a great conversation. Well, then this unrecognizable character starts going into the story of this Jesus and the Messiah and describing of how, well, didn't you guys know? I mean, he was supposed to die. No, we didn't know that. How was he supposed to And he starts using the whole First Testament and lays it all out for him. And then they break bread and they suddenly realize, oh, wait, it's Jesus. It's this living Christ. Luke goes through great pains to bring the reader, bring the congregation, bring the audience, bring the church to understand that Jesus is not in an empty tomb. He is alive. He is risen. He's not succumbed to death, but he has passed through death. It's mysterious. It's supernatural. They talk about this, this glory. It's not entirely dissimilar to another account when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he meets with Moses. Well, hang on, Moses is alive? <laughs> it's called the resurrection. It's called eternity. It's called heaven. And Elijah and Jesus meets with them on this mount. It's remarkable. It's not unlike that. Jesus now passed through death and he shows up significantly in the lives of the gardener, Emmaus Road. He shows up to the disciples and like any good dad trying to tease his family, he surprises them. Gives them a little of a boo. You can read it. Well, the boo is what is said in the Greek. Our English translation says Jesus shows up and says, peace, be still. Bad joke. Forgive me. I told you. I'm not beyond them. Y'all just wait. I'm not beyond. But Jesus, some of his first words, he utters to the anxious-filled, the anxiety-filled disciples is peace, be still. Remarkable. Remarkable. Then in some obscure story, Jesus is breakfast by the sea and reinstates Peter who had denied him, got distant from him, forgotten his purpose. About 40 days later, after the resurrection, Jesus reinstates Peter, has breakfast with him, and speaks to his heart, speaks to his vision for his life and his purpose. Come on, how many of you know, like Peter, none of us, even with our denial, our sin, our mistakes, we're never far from the love of God. Amen. God is always pursuing us. He always loves us. He meets us. And these are some of these living Christ accounts. And I was reflecting on this and I was thinking about this because I think sometimes it's convenient. Like I said, I mean, it can get comfortable to just know about Jesus. 
to know about Jesus. Like, I think in that way, we, 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 we almost put him back in the tomb. Like, you know, you're, you're better on the cross. Where I could just, you know, keep you at a space, keep you at a distance. You're better, you're better in the tomb because it's kind of convenient. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, hey, I can have a little moment and then live the rest of my life how I want to live. The living Christ invites us to encounters with God. The living Christ invites us not to religion, but to relationship. Not to a uh, so-called congregation where you're just another number, but you're in the family of God as a beloved son or a beloved daughter. Where we don't know about God, but we know God. That it isn't just Jesus of Nazareth, but it is the living Christ that we're invited to encounter. I was thinking about, as I said, just been reflecting on this empty tomb. And I was, I was thinking about some of my past. I can't project this on any of you. But I was thinking about some of my past and some of the seasons of life where I've encountered Jesus. But by God's grace, I never stopped there. But I was thinking, wouldn't it be just kind of interested interesting if if all I knew was my childhood Jesus. Now I'm not going to tell you all about my childhood Jesus other than he was there in Sunday school, somebody. And uh, uh, we we had these nice, forget PowerPoint or videos or VeggieTales. Ah, we had the felt. Come on, y'all remember the felt? And uh, I don't know if it was a South Africa thing or what, but like blonde-haired Jesus, like what was up with that? Must have been the 70s or 80s. I, I don't understand it. But childhood Jesus, like, like I'm kind of comfortable. Like he's a Sunday school answer. He's, hey, childhood Jesus, he's here on Easter, you know. I mean, childhood Jesus is kind of like, oh, oh, thanks, Mom and Dad. Yes, yes, great. And, and, and childhood Jesus, can I tell you, some people never get beyond childhood Jesus. He's really good as a kid. But when you hit teenage years, young adult years, adult years, he's good for nothing. Yeah, childhood Jesus. I think about, I was thinking about my own, my own life again. <laughs> I grew up in the church, and the church was like open every day. So I was there like every day. So for me, childhood Jesus, he was a very active Jesus. I will give him that. I also think about summer camp Jesus. Summer camp Jesus was a blast in my teen years. I thought... I thought about youth group Jesus. Youth group Jesus was good too. But all of these adjectives are not meant to be belittling, but they're characters if I'm not careful. Childhood Jesus was really important when I was a child. (laughs) Summer camp, come on. Summer camp Jesus was really important when I went to summer camp. Youth group Jesus was really important when I was a youth. But if I'm not careful, I kind of grow out of that phase. You ever been there, somebody? That I, that, 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 that I grow out of needing Jesus. But to need and to know Jesus is to encounter the risen Christ. The one who is not subjected to the parameters of a tomb. He's not subjected to the parameters of religion, of indoctrination. To encounter the living Christ is to experience God in a real and a personal way. 
We've seen it so often here at Hillside, spread across this region, spread across this globe. Encounters with the living Christ of people who are stuck in cycles of sin, stuck in brokenness. We've seen people come out of, honestly, a childhood Jesus that looked nothing like Jesus. Families of origin that were broken, that were belittling, that were condemning. I encountered a book in, in, in Christian thought at Lee University about 20 years ago. And in Christian thought, we had an assignment. I didn't like reading much at the time, I'll be honest with you. And our assignment was another book report. And the book was titled, Your God is Too Small, by J.B. Phillips. And how many of you know God just has a way of getting you the right book at the right time for what you need. And this book revolutionized how I thought about God, how I thought about my faith, how I thought about my personal relationship. J.B. Phillips was uh, pretty famous about 100 years ago, I'll be honest with you, in the, the kind of the 1940s. He wrote this book, and I took a little snapshot on my MacBook of just the first part of his book. You can tell, it, the book's a little dated there. You can see how, the, how the, um, the text is, the font. But he starts naming these characters of God. Perhaps you've experienced them. Perhaps you're even in here serving one of the characters of God. The resident policeman. So the resident policeman God is the God who uh, perpetually, they're, 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 they're standing over you. Hovering you. And, and the moment you mess up, thwap. You're hit upside the head or your hands slapped. It's like all God cares about are your mistakes. Like he is fixated on the, the one misstep you make. Boom, he's in. <laughs> it's like a helicopter God. He's going to get you. Some of you have, may have grown up in a church with the... Uh, resident policeman. J.B. Phillips profoundly unpacks of how that's not the loving and the depth and the width and the height and the knowledge of who God is that we see on display in the life of Jesus. You've got to start with Jesus. When you start with God, you've got to start with Jesus. Gospel of John says you've got to start with Jesus. Gospel of John says nobody has seen God except the one and only Christ Jesus. It's him who reveals this God. The grand old man, that's kind of, come on, we can kind of keep our distance from that God, can't we? Ah, you know, God's, God's got the flowing white hair, big beard, a little like Santa Claus, you know. We come up, hey, this is what I want for Christmas. We kind of can keep a distance from that God. And he goes through, on and on, God in a box. Come on, been there, that's a convenient way to live. God in a box. Managing director, whoo. This was written a long time ago. But it's all these variations. But let me tell you, they could all be characterized by keeping Jesus in the tomb. They can all be characterized by distancing ourselves and settling for knowing about Jesus. But Jesus, the living Christ, invites us, as he did the disciples who would have known about God. In John 17, 3, Jesus says in one of his last moments with the disciples, 
They're having a meal together. Judas is out betraying him. Rest of the disciples, and he says in John 17, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. He's praying in this moment that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This knowing in the original language, it's talking about a knowing as Adam knew Eve, a knowledge, an intimate awareness and knowledge of God. I want to just let this land with you. You were designed to have an intimate relationship with God where you can hear his voice. You can walk daily in conversation with him. That in the early days when it seems like, man, you're just stuck in an addiction, but you've given your life to Christ and you're just like, man, how come I keep boom, 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 boom. Well, in that portion of the relationship, you're tasting and seeing how good God is. That lamentations must be proven true in your life. That his mercies are new every morning. That it's in the fires of brokenness, of cycles where we need help, that we receive the deliverance that only God can give. I mean, you name it. We are walking in a relationship with God where he is making us whole and he is bringing freedom to our lives. How does that happen? It happens by encountering the living Christ. And the empty tomb is the image that you and I, we don't have a Savior who's passed on, who's outdated, that isn't worth his salt. No, we have the King of kings and Lord of lords who is alive. And he's leading us and guiding us. And he invites every single one of us to walk in this life-giving relationship. And there's a chance, I'm not saying this about you, but there's a chance you've been in a season where if I could just talk frankly, your God is way too small. And you keep refusing to do the deep work. Like no apologies, Hillside, we like the deep work. We don't like it, we don't love it, but we try to do it from time to time. And what am I saying with the deep work? You can't live and follow a caricature of God. You're called to follow the living God. And he loves blowing out the boxes you put him in. He just, he just, he loves it. And, and sometimes he makes it inconvenient for the rest of us. Because he don't care. He just loves showing up and showing out and healing and bringing wholeness and bringing grace and bringing mercy and bringing hope and bringing vision and bringing purpose and bringing destiny. And sometimes in our human nature, we just want to write somebody off, write somebody off, write somebody off, write somebody off. And God's like, no, I keep no record of wrongs. But you got to do the deep work. Like for some of us, Jesus looks at us and says, hey, do you want to be healed? I always wondered those stories in the Gospels. I was like, Jesus, what kind of, like, are you just being dramatic? You know, are you, are you just doing this for effect? <laughs> like, the, the Gospel describes so-and-so, who had been paralyzed from birth, and, you know, is now in their 50s. Christ approached him by the pool of Bethesda. I'm like, all right, this is getting good. And then, Jesus, Jesus you're interrupting the story. Why are you asking him if he wants to be healed? Like, who does that? Just zap him. <laughs> but some of us are comfortable with our broken identity. 
We don't want to be healed. Healing is too inconvenient. And sometimes, childhood Jesus is a lot easier than the living Christ. Sometimes, Jesus, as a, <laughs> as a policeman, he's a lot more comfortable than having to do the deep work of letting him go into the most painful, broken places in my soul and in my life. And over time, he doesn't always go there day one, but over time, that's where the living Christ goes. He goes into all our tombs. He says, man, why are, you, why are you looking for life over there? We laid that to rest. Let me lift you up. Step into who I've called you to be. See what I mean? Man, a living Christ is a game changer. It's not a religion. It is a relationship. And, and this is really going to sound like uh, Captain Obvious here, but the empty tomb, it illustrates, it gives us the image of the living Christ. But the empty tomb, it also has an invitation, a standing invitation, and it invites us into the living faith, like a, like a living faith. Like we have, we have downer days. Please know that. We have seasons of Great grief and disappointment, suffering, heartache. Man, that is part of our journey in life. Don't misread it. But, but, nonetheless, in the Egypts of life, in the wildernesses of life, on the way to the promised land, I tell you this, you can encounter a living faith where you hold out in the wilderness for the promise that is over your life that is over your family, that is over your friendships, that is over your career, that is over your loneliness. You, you can handle it, not in your own strength, but because of the hope of a living faith. I, uh, I reflect on this short story um, of, of an author, G.K. Chesterton. He was a, a pretty um, profound author, philosopher um, back in the UK, again, about 100 years or so ago. But he was a renowned atheist, and he encountered Christ and was transformed. Well, a journalist ran up to him, and uh, he said, Hey, sir, I, I understand that you recently became a Christian. May I ask you one question? And Chesterton said, well, Certainly, of, co of course he can. If the risen Christ suddenly appeared at this very moment and stood behind you, what would you do? And G.K. <laughs> Chesterton, he looked the reporter squarely in the eye, and he said, he is. Beautiful, beautiful, staggering story of a man so touched by an encounter with Christ that he no longer envisioned life to the same. Sometimes our supernatural Christ-centered imagination has been whittled down where we've boxed God to such an extent. He's better off in the closet being encountered on a daily basis. But the story of Easter is not of just a rabbi in Judea who taught powerful truths. No, it is about God with skin on coming to life, leading a life that was blameless, and inviting the marginalized, the downcast, the ones who weren't even loved enough to step foot in a synagogue, Jesus ran them down. He traced them down. He was accused of, of having Easter dinner, Passover, with sinners, tax collectors, 
the rejects of society Jesus called forth, the wounded, the broken, the doubt-filled, the disappointed, Christ invited them all. And in fact, the book of Revelation speaks of a day that is coming, the new heaven and the new earth where all will be invited to eat at his table and taste. That is the greatness and the kindness of a God who loves and sees us for all who will call upon his name, turn from their sins and respond to the love of God. But we must continue to cultivate, I want to say this, we must continue to cultivate a living faith. Every once in a while as a pastor, I've experienced this in my own life, I kind of like to pivot and shift the responsibility back on God. I'm not proposing you've done that or are doing that. But sometimes we do that in life. Like life's been too hard. There's been too many mistakes, too many disappointments, too much brokenness on the seams. And we just kind of pivot back to God. It's your fault. You figure it out. God's saying, hey, I love you. Would you step towards me? You take one inch step, I'll meet you in that moment. It could be too easy to, to just hope one day we wake up like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix. That somehow experiencing God and a living faith, it's just going to be like shot into us. Or a, or a pill we got to take. All right, great. Now I've got a, a living faith. No, it's a daily cultivation through the disciplines of prayer when you don't feel like it especially, reading scripture, when you don't feel like it especially, community, when you do not feel like it especially, cultivating that relationship. And, and make no bones about it, I believe that God will encounter us, that we can experience his goodness and his kindness and knowing the depths of his love. And this empty tomb, it, it invites us into a, into a living faith. Sometimes in the significant moments and other times in these smaller moments of life. I, I shared with earlier service, I'll share with you as well. In his um, book, Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. Y'all, I'm saying, you got to read this book. But Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. He quotes uh, Frederick Beekner, who was also an atheist, but would encounter the risen Christ. And Beekner's writing, and he says, he shares two accounts of encountering the resurrected Christ. What he believes is the resurrected Christ in a couple coincidences, a couple interesting experiences. One of them happened, he says, when I was in a bar at an airport at an unlikely hour. I went there because I hate flying, and a drink makes it easier to get on a plane. Thank you, Frederick Beekner. There was nobody else in the place, and there was an awful lot of empty bar stools on this long bar. And I sat down at one which had, like all the rest, a little menu in front of it with the drink of the day. On the top of the menu was an object, and the object turned out to be a tie clip. And the tie clip had on it the initial CFB, which are my initials, and I was actually stunned by it. Just B would have been sort of interesting. FB would have been fascinating. And CFB in the right order, the chances of that being a chance, I should think, would be absolutely astronomical. What it meant to me was I chose to believe it meant was, you are in the right place, the right errand, the right road at that moment. How absurd and how small, but it's too easy to say that. 
And then another one, Buechner says, was just a dream I had recently. After a friend had died. A very undreamlike dream. Where he was simply standing in the room and my friend said to me, How nice to see you, I've missed you. And he said, Yes, I know that. And I said, Are you really there? And he said, You bet I'm really here. And I said, Can you prove it? And he said, of course I can prove it. And he threw me a little bit of blue string, which I caught. It was so real, Beekner says, that I woke up. I recounted the dream at breakfast the next morning with my wife. And the widow of the man in the dream and my wife looked at me, jaw dropped. My God, I saw that piece of thread on the rug this morning. And I knew it wasn't there last night. And I ran up and sure enough, there was a little squibble of blue thread. Well, again, Beekner says, that's nothing, coincidence, or else it's just a glimpse of the fact that maybe when we talk about the resurrection of the body, there's something to it. We live and breathe a culture of skepticism, critical thinking, the social media critic who thrives on reality and the tangible earth that our foot step on every day. Or, we live on a good planet created by an incredibly loving God who has breathed life into every single one of us. And that while we can't explain all the situations and circumstances of our past, we know that by His grace, and by his mercy, we're seated here today. Though all our circumstances aren't perfect, we have hope because the tomb is not empty and we have a living Christ. My last thought is the empty tomb is a picture of our future. At 1 Corinthians 15, we can bring it up. It says that in all of us, we died. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Here it is. For since by man came death, by man, and that man being Adam, that's where the death came. But by man being Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. That phrase, in Christ. It's an invitation that stands open, not just this morning, but all throughout the day today, the remainder of this week, in Christ, is an invitation to every single one of us, that our life can be lived in Christ. Does it mean it's perfect? No. Does it mean it's easy? No. But in Christ is an invitation for a life with God. No matter our mistakes no matter our failures, we always have a lifeline, an open connection with a loving God. Why do we have this? We have this really in some ways because of this last week. This Passover, the holy week, passion week, where Jesus would enter Jerusalem, he'd be mistried, misjudged, put on a cross by the Romans, accused and betrayed, forsaken. But God would bring him back to life through the Holy Spirit. And now Christ calls to every single one of us, follow me, walk with me, 
let me take the life you have and step into all that I have for you. Amen? I hope you were encouraged. I hope you can receive that today. Let's close in prayer. God, again, we say thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the living Christ, the resurrected one, God. We thank you for the image of the empty tomb. That, Father, you did not die and resurrect and ascend into heaven to give us doctrine. But you did it for relationship, that we can live loved, that we can walk full of hope, full of a peace that passes all understanding. For all who call upon your name, I just want to invite you to say this prayer. If you've been distant from God and you know, man, you know that you know that you know that you know He's been knocking on the door of your heart. The Holy Spirit, before you ever came to service today, may have been just saying to you, come home, man, come home. Quit running and come home. I want to tell you it's as simple as saying a prayer. It is as simple as calling on His name. You don't have to have it figured out. You don't have to have all the messes cleaned up. God meets us where we are. And if you felt that knocking on the door of your heart, come on, would you say this with me? God, I need you. I call upon you to be my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sins. I ask that you forgive me for my past, for my present situation. And Lord, I know I can trust you with my future. Jesus, come into my heart. Transform my life. I thank you for your mercy. It's in the name of Jesus we